And so here you sit at 22 minutes before the hour, ready to hear the sermon, right? 20-year anniversary sermon. I've clocked it at just under an hour and a half. So no worries. No worries. We are, uh, we're going to have a great time together. No, we'll, uh, we'll work at keeping this brief. And uh, frankly, I think it's really pretty simple. And uh, I hope it comes across that way to, to each of you as well. It's so interesting, Allie mentioned in her interview on the video, how God often weaves pieces together. We've seen him do that so often. And, uh, and once again, I, I had not seen the video. I had not heard John and Julie's comments. And uh, you will think, wow, that must have been the inspiration for Guy's sermon. I hadn't seen that. But uh, a part of my inspiration for this sermon this morning comes from a story that if you have read Chuck Colson's classic book called The Body, um, you might remember the outrageous story of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, They had, one Sunday morning, a huge brawl. I mean, barroom-type brawl broke out in their worship service. There had been tensions that had been brewing in the church for months and months and months. The pastor was at the center of that tension, perished the thought, and, uh, and it just exploded one Sunday morning. If you have the opportunity to read the entire story, uh, again, it's in Colson's book called The Body. It is both hilarious, uh, his commentary as he weaves the story together, but, but also just unbelievably painful and, and tragic, especially the conclusion. And I want to read just a few words from that to you this morning. The fight on this Sunday morning ended, and the police arrived on the scene. They restored order, they took down some names for their report, and they recommended that some of the men seek medical attention. Ray Bryson, who was one of the deacons, had broken his hand, and Mary Dahl's knitting needles were confiscated. (laughs) The following Wednesday, remember, true story, friends, Wednesday, the following Wednesday, each of the deacons received a notice to appear at the Newton Courthouse for a hearing. The pastor, Donald Waite is his name, had also been summoned. And on the day of the hearing, both he and his wife appeared at the courthouse. They sat on one side, and the deacons were on the other side. And when the court officer entered, breaking the uncomfortable silence, some of them recognized him immediately as David Goldstein. One of the stars on Temple Beth Shalom's softball team. They played against one another in the church league. And for several minutes, Goldstein looked over the police description in front of him. And the one time that he looked up at the folks who were seated out there before him, he seemed to focus on the bandage that was on the pastor's nose and on the cast that was on Ray Bryson's hand. And then he said, I know some of you from the softball league. We may have had our differences on the ball diamond, but the cause of our religion in our city is at stake here. There must be some way that you can settle your dispute among yourselves differently than what you have done. No one could even look at him. Well, sir, said the pastor standing up, I've been a pastor in the service for many years, and I've never met a more stubborn-necked people than those in this church. 
At that, the deacons, of course, raised their heads. But he was just beginning to warm up to his speech. Now, I have been in the way for a long time. In the way of what? Asked the judge. And then he decided not to wait for an answer. I'm dismissing this case, he said. Wrapped his gavel down with sudden force on the desk. No charges will be pressed at this point. But I urge you to work this out within your church. Your Jesus may allow this sort of thing in his followers, but the Commonwealth of Massachusetts does not permit fistfights as a regular order of worship service. (laughs) The end of the chapter says this. The leadership of Emmanuel Baptist Church filed out of the courthouse to their cars and drove off in different directions. On a number of the cars was the mupper sticker, God is with us at Emmanuel Baptist Church. If you're new to Applewood Community Church, you might be relieved to know that there are no brawls in our church history. We have found something that works well for us. We decide who the troublemakers are ahead of time, and then we just kick them out before they can ever cause trouble. And, 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 and that seems to, uh, to help. Truthfully, every time I read the statement about, or that story about Emmanuel Baptist, I am struck by the words of that judge. Your Jesus Christ may allow this sort of thing in his followers, but the Commonwealth of Massachusetts will not. The state of the church in America today is such that that those on the outside looking in are quite often, I think, given an impression of who Jesus is that just is all wrong. Whether it be sexual improprieties, whether it be financial schemes, whether it be political alliances, the stuff that goes on in the institution that was founded by Jesus and thus associated with his name is appalling and it is heartbreaking. We have spoken often in our past hours together in this celebration of God's faithfulness. Wow! There's a theme that you look through Scripture and you see the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. And so often, he is faithful in the midst of circumstances and living that his people are are involved in that make us wonder, wow, how could he be faithful? Our celebration has been focused on God's faithfulness to us, his amazing faithfulness. But I have to tell you, in, in the midst of it all, there is this question that keeps bouncing around in my head. And I think the older I get, there's more space for that to happen. So it's been bouncing quite a bit of late. And that question that keeps coming to my mind is, what about us? We've been talking about God's faithfulness. We have been rejoicing His faithfulness. We are counting on His continued faithfulness. What about us? What about us? He's been faithful to us again and again. What about us? Have we been faithful to Him in the past 20 years? Are we faithful 
at the present? Are we going to be faithful to him tomorrow, in the weeks, in the months, and the years to come? What about us in response to God's faithfulness? Are we, will we be faithful? It seems to me that that is, is our challenge to, to learn from and appreciate and rejoice in what God has done for us in the past and to determine as his people to be faithful as we, as we move forward. And let's, let's be honest. The church at large is a, is a weird place. It really is. We're part of a 2,000-year tradition of this entity that we call the church. And there have been and continue to be all kinds of individual expressions of the church. We refer to it as the local church or congregation. Theologically speaking, we know that there is only one church. But it finds its expression in many congregations. According to one researcher, over 450,000 of them in the United States. With all kinds of differences, from very formal to very casual, from tiny to huge, from rock concert-like music to organ music to no music at all, to liturgical to very free-flowing, from rich to poor and on and on and on the differences go in the local church. Who is right about this thing called the church? Applewood is, of course. In all humility, we say, of course, Applewood's got it right. Celebrating our past and remembering God's faithfulness is important. And, and we see our distinctiveness that has, has, has sort of come uh, to the top as a result of who God brings and what God does. And it, it really is oh so fun. But can I just point out an important truth to you and you'll think me brilliant for pointing this out. The past is past. It's gone. There is nothing that we can do to relive that or to change that. We don't live in the past. We live in the present. And we are looking into the future. Next month, next year, the next 20 years. And so what I want to share very quickly with you this morning, I think is, is really simple. I think it's really obvious. I'll be using my spiritual gift that you know I have. Pointing out the obvious uh, with, with an added bonus of telling you things that, that you already know. But here's why. Emmanuel Baptist in Newton, Massachusetts didn't plan on that brawl. You know, they didn't put it on the calendar. You know, such and such a Sunday of this year, we are going to have one ugly fight that the city will never forget. No. Churches don't plan to do stupid things. But given the fact that humanity is stupid, the collective agency that we call the church oftentimes ends up doing like things. Churches don't plan on doing things that are unfaithful to God, that bring shame to His name, and yet... 
it happens. And so, our text is one this morning that we have looked at as we've been in our current series on healthy missional markers. So, I'm hopeful that that we will read this together and and you're going to think, hey, this sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we read this together not very long ago. But I I just think that it, it has built into it a couple of significant truths that we need to be reminded of. Matthew, in his gospel, records that Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road one day. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, so who do people say that I am? A lot of fuss about Jesus. Who do they say that I am? And his disciples said, well, you know, some think that you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, or or one of the prophets. And Jesus then turned to them and he said, so what about you? Who do you say that I am? So let's stand up and and read the rest of the conversation together. Together. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. All right, are you ready for your very in-depth neighbor question? This is going to take you 30 seconds. Ready? Here we go. To whom does the church belong? You're not sounding it out very loudly. You don't even need to talk to your neighbor about that one, do you? Of course, we all know that the church belongs to Jesus. He said, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus. Period. The church belongs to Jesus. That means that it is His. That means that He is ultimately in control. He is the life giver. He is the one that has called it into existence. It means that the church exists for Him and it was given life by Him. Jesus gives life to his church and those who belong to it are blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because God has revealed this truth to you. You are in on an incredible secret here, Peter. And on the truth of your expression, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, I am going to build something incredible. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not stand against it. Okay, now you do have to ask your neighbor this real quickly. What are the implications of this? The church belongs to Jesus. What are the implications? Go ahead, just ask your neighbor. So what do you think? What are the implications of the church belonging to Jesus? Okay, we ready? Some of you got it, just like that. 
Okay, what are the implications? The church belongs to Jesus. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, we want to be in charge. There's something in us the moment we come out of the womb. We want to be in charge. Yeah. What else? What other implications? Up to us to reflect him. Boy, there's an implication. Yeah. Good, thank you. What else? Oh, let's get a little serious here. Do we really think that? I, you know, I, I, I so easily, we all can so easily say, yeah, we understand. The church belongs to Jesus. He's, he's the authority. He's the one that we answer to. He's the one that we represent. You know, the, the, the church is his presence in the community. Yet, there so often seems to be a disconnect with how we think and, and how we, we live our lives and, and that presence. So, if we're going to be around for another 20 years, how is it, how is it that we are going to be a people, remember the question that bounces into my head, that are faithful to him as he is faithful to us? Are there, are there any indicators which we can look and say, okay, we, we have been faithful to him. Because I'm sure that Emmanuel Baptist Church started out with a passion to be faithful to him. As should all churches who, who operate under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you two indicators, two primary indicators that I think sort of trump all else. You ready? We remember what we just talked about. The church belongs to Jesus. The church exists for Jesus. And we remind one another of that. Now, it it seems simple enough, right? The church belongs to Jesus. This is not my church. It is his church. And that works really well until Phil and Allie have chosen the wrong song too many times in a row. (laughs) Or the music's too loud. Or I don't like the pastor's sermon topic. Or I wish that the children's ministry had painted the walls differently in the rooms. I know, it seems silly. But these are the kinds of things that divide churches. And they're the kinds of things that churches can become known for. This ministry is not meeting my needs. Just isn't doing it for me. Well, that's okay because it's not about you anyway. I think the irony is that every church will tell you that they're concerned about Jesus, but but churches that are faithful to God, churches that will be found faithful... 20 years, we will be found faithful if we are marked by questions like, what does the Lord Jesus want us to do? Is that simple? How often do we ask it? What does the Lord Jesus want us to do? Is is he pleased with what we're doing here? What does Jesus think of this or that situation? Uh, Healthy, faithful churches... Or churches where you hear expressions like, oh man, this is a challenging situation. We need to spend time together asking Jesus to guide us and give us wisdom because this church belongs to him and we want what he wants. 
I think when a church is more concerned about the personal desires, tastes, comforts of its own people, rather than the pleasure and the honor of Jesus, it has become an unfaithful church. Because it's not ours. It's His. Issues of of personal preference and desires are always secondary to the preferences of the Lord Jesus. He is the priority. And the values of His kingdom are what drive a faithful church. You know, we have spent a lot of time in the past talking about Jesus' expectations. Those who want to follow Him would have to deny themselves, Jesus said, and take up their cross. Then they can get about the business of following Him. That means that those who are a part of the church are supposed to be consumed with self-denial. They're supposed to always be wrestling to put to death their own desires for the sake of Jesus and for the honor of His church. So then the first of of two indicators of a faithful church, can I say it this way, is an obsession with the priority of Jesus. Jesus what he desires and wants from that church, that's what they do. It is his church. And he has every right to expect that his people in that local congregation be concerned about what he wants. The culture in which we we live today has changed significantly in, in 20 years since Applewood began. How often have we asked that question? What does Jesus want? And the culture is going to continue to change for the next 20 years. Perhaps, very likely, more quickly than it has changed in the past 20. Will we show ourselves faithful by being concerned about the desires and the honor of Jesus by asking those questions? There's a second indicator of a faithful church. It really has to do more with the nature of the church. Jesus said that the gates of hell would not stand against his church or overcome his church. The church is a spiritual entity that exists in the physical realm and its concern is always spiritual reality within the physical realm. And so the second indicator is that people in a faithful church have as their highest ministry priority the rescue of lost people. The rescue of lost people. The faithful congregation remembers the words of Jesus being his representatives, being his hands and feet. Jesus said, you know, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The faithful church lives with a keen and constant awareness of the reality of spiritual warfare. That means that we don't live in a neutral world. There is the kingdom of light and there is the kingdom of darkness. And the scripture is pretty clear that those are the two choices. the faithful church lives with an awareness of that. That those who do not know Jesus are held captive by the powers of darkness. That's what gates do. They keep intruders out. They keep inhabitants in. And so the gates of hell are, are people who are held in bondage to the power of darkness. And when Jesus left the planet, He gave His church the mandate to live their lives with the good news That the lost can be found. That those who are living in bondage can be free to live the life that they were created to live. Now, 
Here's the challenge, and it just it ties back to, again, the church belongs to Jesus. Heather, can we put that first text up from John 13? You know these verses. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You remember the context of those verses. He had just washed his disciples' feet. He had just taken the position of the lowest of the low in their society. And he went around that room, much to their horror, I think, and Peter is the one who really recognizes that, and he washed their dirty, smelly feet. And then he says to them, if I, as your master and teacher, have done this, so you ought to be doing this for one another. In other words, humbling and serving one another, doing those tasks that nobody else wants to do because Christ has loved us in that way. When Jesus says love one another, he's not talking about the somewhat anemic and often very pathetic understanding of love that our culture has. We love with a sense of what's in it for me. Jesus gave himself because he loved others. John records for us, for God so loved the world that he gave. He also says, this is how we know what love is. God sent his one and only son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Heather, let's put up John 17 real quick. Final prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross My prayer is not for them alone. He's been praying for his immediate followers. It says, but I'm not praying just for them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Here we sit. Recipients of a message that has been percolating along for 2,000 years. That all of them may be one. The word there is unified. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Francis Schaeffer calls this the final apologetic of the Christian faith. When the world looks at our church buildings and they're not impressed, when the church hears our music and they're not impressed, when the church listens to our carefully crafted sermons and they're not impressed, the thing that they cannot deny is unity and oneness amongst a bunch of people who otherwise shouldn't be unified and one. It's something that doesn't happen in the world. Think about where Jesus was at in terms of his followers. He's nearing the end of his life. Three years, three plus years. And he's gathered quite a group of folks around him. And it continues to grow. And that group consists of Jews and Romans and tax collectors and prostitutes and the rich, and the poor, and it's this eclectic group of people who Jesus has gathered around himself and given the mission to go into the world and to do likewise. How are we doing with that? That, I think, is the second indicator of a faithful church. We are loving one another as God has loved us, that means we sacrifice and it's more than words and we put ourselves to action and we're really willing to, to take one for the team because that's what love does. And in the process, 
the Spirit of God who generates that in the lives of those who belong to Him, the Spirit of God who generates that begins to draw others because others begin to look at our life together and they say, Whoa! Never seen that before! What's that about? You know the quote of Mahatma Gandhi years ago. He's famous for saying, You know, Jesus, I'm attracted to, but His followers, not so much. That is a tragic commentary. And it is a commentary on the status of the church in America. Will we be found faithful, brothers and sisters? I think we'll be measured by these two indicators. Is everything that we do about Jesus, are we obsessed with Jesus? Are we about Jesus? Think of Julie's big rubber finger there that she held up in the video. Everything points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Are we all about Jesus? And then, do those who observe our lives and listen to our conversation and see us in the marketplace and bump into us across the fence and in our neighborhoods and at picnics, are they hearing about our life in Christ with others? They have the opportunity to see us together. Do they see something that is distinct and different? A love that sacrifices, a love that just isn't the normal kind of human love. I don't know what the next 20 years holds. What I am confident of, though, is that we will face challenges at every turn. And perhaps the biggest challenges that we'll face come from right here. Because you, like me, will want to continue to make this about us. It's not. It's about Jesus. You, like me, will continue to want to love others who are easy to love. Anybody can do that. But what the Holy Spirit does is he gives us the courage and the ability, the fortitude to reach out and to wrap our arms around those who are still held in bondage no matter what they look like, no matter the color, the height, the stature, the language. Who cares? That's Jesus in action in the lives of his people. Praise team. Come on up and... Lead us as we conclude this morning. Brothers and sisters, God in his faithfulness has given us an amazing 20 years. Amazing 20 years. As we celebrate and rejoice in his faithfulness, may the Spirit of God just push something inside of us that longs to be found faithful for the next 20 years. Faithful in ways that God measures faithfulness. More than just a nice bunch of folks, which we are. Let's be a nice bunch of folks who are obsessed with Jesus at every turn and obsessed with loving others for the sake of Jesus, seeing them become members of his kingdom because they have been freed from the powers and the bondage of darkness through the love of God in Christ.